Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's I forget what day of the week it is, Rian. I don't I don't remember what day of the week it is, but it's it's a day of the week. It's somewhere midweek. We're uh we're back on the overlap, talking a little Premier League. We're talking a little footy in England. Rian has a new coach in Chelsea. I have a new love for my team in Spain. I don't know what to make of Tottenham. Uh City are back to normal. It's a weird ass season, Rian. So anyway, how you doing, buddy? It's been uh it's been a couple of days. I'm doing all right, man. Um doing quite all right. We're we're snowed in here, at least on the east coast. Um oh, we got somewhere at least in New York here, I think we got at least fourteen inches, I think. Yeah, something like uh, that. I don't know I don't know what it's what's shaken out to be. It's still just a little bit like a snow and sleet right now and you can't even really enjoy it because <laughs> Well, because we can't really go outside and do much anyway, and um, and yeah, and it happened on like a Monday, <laughs> and a Monday into Tuesday, yeah. so so like during the work week. But dude, there's no there's no such thing as adult snow days anymore. Like this was the saddest realization this week. A lot of those adult exist. snow days ever existed, unless you were a teacher. Yes. Okay, but. I don't <laughs> snow days don't exist as an adult. It's the same thing. Why? It's semantics, man. God. <laughs> Rian's on one today. All right, fine. Be that way. Anyway, Rian, you want to talk a little Chelsea? You want to talk a little Spurs? Because we we have a surprise. I would love to. All right, let's do it. Rian, I decided, actually, we both decided. Who am I kidding? We decided to bring on our friend Desmond to talk a little bit (laughs) about the upcoming Spurs-Chelsea game this week. Spurs obviously going through a pretty tough run in form, dropping points against Liverpool and Brighton in the past seven days. Chelsea, on the other hand, looking a bit up in their last fixture over the weekend with Thomas Tuchel, although it wasn't the uh, the classic 5-3 score lines that I think Rian probably predicted in the beginning of the season. Um, all out attack and no defense, but it's maybe... Maybe something to salvage throughout the rest of the season. So, Des, thanks for uh, thanks for hopping on. How you doing? I am doing. I'm doing. I mean, come on now. What what a question to ask this year, <laughs> last year, Elias. You know how, damn well how I'm doing. I'm um, trying to be I'm, nice, but if you want to, if you want to spin it, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> also, especially, I mean, we're going to be talking about Spurs, so. Um, yeah, that's true. That's. True. I'm sorry that we yeah. have to bring you on now. Hey, it's when the fixtures were scheduled. It has nothing to do with yeah, me. Why so, call me in with the top of the league. <laughs> well, I think I think at some point we actually probably talked about it, and then we never acted on it. So blame Rian. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. no, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. So, um, why don't we start with you, Des Tottenham? Obviously, like I said, going through a drop in form. Um, this is maybe not a simple question, but I think it's an important question. Who do you think is actually to blame for this drop in form? Um, is it the players? Is it Mourinho? Is it something else? Mm, sleeper pick, Danny Rose. Just uh, <laughs> <getting left. laughs> That, that, oh that is a sleeper pick for sure. 
<laughs> no, I mean that's the that's the big question. Like, is it really a Mourinho problem, or is it some of these really okay players that we have um, that just aren't up to snuff? And it's probably a combination of the two. Um, I mean, this is like probably way oversimplified, but like Mourinho's obviously a defensive coach, um, which you need good defenders for. I believe that math checks out. Um, and this may come as a surprise to some some listeners, but uh, we don't have that. But we, I mean, Tottenham doesn't have good defenders. <laughs> it it comes as no surprise, but continue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if the last time that you watched was 2016-17, the glory days, Toby and, uh, and Yan in the back, that was perfect. But no, my God, we have fallen so far from that. So, like, you have these defenders who aren't very good um, in a completely defensive system, um, which causes some problems. I mean, you saw that definitely during the Liverpool game. Um, in general, there's sort of like a lack of – kind of a lack of energy. I'm not really sure if that's also down to like the style of play, um, just the fact that you know everything's really defensive. You sit back, you defend a lot, you hit on the counterattack, and like earlier in the season, the counterattacks looked fantastic. There were some plays that just were absolutely perfect. Um, that's what I've been lacking the last couple of weeks. I don't know if that's because people are tired of just sitting back and defending. Maybe, hey, maybe it's pandemic fatigue. We haven't even. Maybe that's a possibility. The, uh, the uh, underlying. It's it's a real possibility. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, interesting because I I think in the last few episodes, Ellis and I have talked about kind of pandemic slash you're playing in the Champions League and and or uh, Europa League at the start of the season made made everyone fatigued and yeah. yeah and and I look back now on those first couple of months and especially how well. Let's just say, for example, Chelsea and Tottenham were doing for the first couple of months of the season. Looking back, how much of that had to do with maybe a couple of the other more talented teams were pretty fatigued from from playing in Europe. But uh, but I I, um, I sympathize with you, Desmond, of course, because I've had to go through this exact same situation um, with Jose Mourinho and. I don't know. I think um, the last we're just looking at the last couple of games from last week, right? right. Um, the, the defending obviously wasn't great in the Liverpool game, and, and I think just more or less kind of outclassed by Liverpool. I would say I, mean, I thought Liverpool played well, and Tottenham also had a few individual errors. So the real issue or the real um, disappointing game was obviously Brighton, right? Where Tottenham doesn't register a single shot until 30 minutes into the game. And they only have one in the entire first half. And throughout the entire game, only three shots inside the box. None of them greater than uh, 0.09 XG model. So it's... uh, I think the issue is in the attack more more than defending, honestly. Because I do think that Pretty much what we saw against Brighton is um, a team that is coached pretty much only on what to do without the ball and transitions, especially, which is just really big for Mourinho, transitions. And playing against a team that in Brighton who are coached heavily on what to do with the ball. And, And it was just... 
shades of the final days of Mourinho at insert ex Mourinho club. <laughs> so, but oh. I'm not not saying that I think he's in his final days at Tottenham, obviously. But but that performance in that game felt eerily similar. Yeah, I mean, well, not, I just don't think it's like a, um, you know, it was Harry Kane's first game out, fully out, right, after the Liverpool game. So I don't think it's that surprising that things look that dismal, considering I think, you know, for the first half of the season, that was really our game plan. Like, All right, give it to Kane, and he'll either score or he'll pass it to someone who will score most likely Son. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it, only Son, really. It, it, it was, yeah, I think it was pretty much the only was. Um, so, like, Harry Kane was our best midfielder, <laughs> low-key, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's where he spent all of his time. Um, but, like, yeah, I don't think it's that surprising that, that cre- when that creative outlet's gone and he has to completely rethink everything, that that first game would be pretty pretty dismal attacking, um, especially when you're putting in retirement home Gareth Bale. Oh, um, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't really – like, he's not a replacement for Harry at all. Um I don't know if you guys had opinions on him. I don't know if you would have said. No. Uh, yeah, I think you think you know. My, I mean, I think he knows my feelings on on Garrett this year of Gareth Bale. Even before the season, I think I said um, total wild card, and that for me, I yeah. thought the two options were he'd be very good or very bad, and so uh, we're we're seeing the other play out. But um, I I do think that even before Kane getting injured on in the Liverpool game. The last two months have been pretty, let's say, at best average, I thought, for, for Tottenham, especially after those first, like, 11-ish games. I don't know, Elias, what, what are you seeing that is totally different from Tottenham, at least compared to the first 11 games where they were sitting after the 2-0 win versus Arsenal, they were sitting first in the league with 24 points. They were fourth in non-penalty expected goal difference. And... Look, and we, well, I don't know if Ellie's conceded, but uh, but I somewhat conceded that there is a possibility that, that if things go, things break in their favor, they could win the league. But what do you see has changed, Elias? Well, first off, I think I was a little more bearish on Spurs just because, I, and this a couple of weeks ago, they are one Harry Kane injury away from not being able to produce any of this. And... That's oddly correlated to what we're seeing right now, funny enough. Um, but I think the it's easy for me to sit here and say the biggest problem with Spurs is that they lost Harry Kane and they lost a lot of the chemistry that they had on the field and obviously the goals. But I think the problem probably runs a little deeper than that. I think it's largely what Des was saying earlier. The fact that their center back pairing or pairings, if you will, are not actually high quality or of the quality that Spurs would expect to be at. I think Daniel Levy has probably failed in making appropriate signings for that position. And for some reason, focus his energy so much on signing players like Vinicius. And okay, I'm not going to comment too much on Bergvine, but players that don't necessarily, aren't necessarily, they're good depth, but if you solely rely on the structure like Mourinho does, and you don't have the center back pairing to back that up, you're going to be in a bad position. I think Regulon is a great signing, or at least a great loan option, but why is Gareth 
fail there. I don't, I genuinely don't understand that other than it being just a feel good story. Um, so I think the largest problem with the way that Spurs have operated in the last couple of weeks is their sport project is catching up to them a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if you have okay. thoughts, but. Yeah, no, no, I mean, maybe, maybe it's all down to bad signings. Like, I agree, like, we haven't, we haven't invested enough in, I don't know if that's really true. I mean, Devinson Sanchez was like $45 million. That was a bust. Um, I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, what was we signed? Oh, Joe Rodon is a good signing for the future. He looked, honestly, he looked really good against Liverpool, except for that one gigantic mistake um, that he made. And he generally looks pretty good whenever he comes in, even though it's not that often. Um, but well, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, oh, I, just like, I think it needs to be said that I don't have the stats on this. So, Rian, I don't know if you have these hidden somewhere. Um, but I'm pretty sure Spurs have one of the best defenses before the last, you know, coming into these last couple weeks. Um, and that's with our not-so-good center-back pairing or non-existent center-back pairing because it's been changing the entire year. Um so, like, I think it's easy to say that, oh, like, that everything's catching up to us. You know, there's not really a whole lot of future. But, um, you know, if you look at that and say, oh, okay, like, the, the defense is actually performing pretty well with terrible players. Couldn't that also be seen as being potentially a positive and saying that, oh, like, maybe it's just going in the right direction. Maybe you're, like, offensively it's not going in the right direction, which, um, you know, I don't even know if I can really agree with that. <laughs> like signing wise, I, well, like, okay, is a good. Understand why Mourinho doesn't play him. That's a whole other. That's an issue of him not playing Vinicius. Vinicius is a good signing every game he's in. He scores. Um, Bergvine is confusing, but for the most part, good. He just needs to learn how to finish. And um, like those are those. But are Riyad, or, or not Riyad? Does do you understand yeah. though? At least agree to the point that like. I'm not saying the, the sporting project that Spurs have going on is poor. Uh, all I'm saying is that it may not align with what Mourinho may want, or it has not. And I think that piece of it is catching up to them because I think that they may have incorporated players that don't fit in with the chemistry of the team that he set up. Uh. I don't know. I would I would kind of push disagree with that because Hoiberg is the most Mourinho signing I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Matt Doherty, extremely Mourinho player too. Bergwijn, I mean, I, I guess you, I, you could go either way. I guess um, I think I, I mean, think Mourinho sees him as a useful player. I I I, I don't think that uh, on many other Mourinho's past teams he would have been as starter as he is, but I think he would have been a contributor to teams, to past Mourinho teams. Um, but, I don't know, I... I Des, Desmond, I, I kind of have the stats that, that you were looking for, though. Um, I, I agree with you. The first, the first again, I, I think it's just a real split of the first two months of, two to three months of this, two and a half months of the season, and the last month and a half-ish. Um, if, if we're just looking on the last nine Premier League games, the defending has been purely on, on chances conceded. They're, they're sitting 12th in expected goal average, and they're sitting 12th overall in like the expected points table. And 
I just think that I, for me, I just think what's happening at the moment is where Spurs were like greatly overperforming their XG in the fir- in those first eleven games. Or they're sitting second. They're the second most outperforming team in terms of expected goals, second to Southampton. Funny enough, after today, um, I I, just, I think they've kind of regressed to the quote unquote XG mean. Let's say that with their with their goals to the point where they're almost equaling their expected goals in these last nine games. Um, and you kind of see it where now Sun, who was like a plus six in the first 11 games in terms of goals to expected goals difference, he's now underperforming those metrics. Um, Kane is, is still about the identical to his uh, goal to expected goal difference, and that was the same in the fir- throughout the entire season. But what's really changed there is he was a plus, almost a plus six in expected assists from those first eleven games. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I want to give hope, but I'm just seeing a lot of it from the last, just from the last month and a half. It's it's a tough watch. Um, but I don't know two weeks without Harry Kane now. He'll miss the West Brom and the Chelsea game. He leads the team in shots in um, third and passes into the final third, leads the team in passes into the penalty area, second in progressive passes, leads the team in in, um, shot-creating actions per game as well. He's going to be a big miss for this game, obviously. But how are you feeling for Thursday against Chelsea? Oof. Chelsea on a a manager firing bump. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It always a narrative, man. Yeah, but they they work best against good teams usually. Like that's when you when he has a lot of success when like you a, a team is just constantly putting on pressure, constantly putting on pressure, and then. Bang me yeah, especially no, against like, Liverpool last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you, I know. I, I said I wouldn't bring up the referee's decision. I lied to you ah. both. <laughs> that game would have looked a lot different if that offside call on Sun. I thought the game was pretty open. I didn't think that that Tottenham sat back quite as much as normal, but but I. No, I mean I, again, I, they had in that game. There's just the fact that it was like Liverpool's B team, so um, at least B defense. C defense, non-existent defense. I don't even know. Um, wow, guys, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, it's been a long day at work. Where was I? What was I saying? Your your thoughts for Thursday? Ah, oh, yes. Thank you for bringing me back. I'm so tired. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I think we're gonna get. I think, I think it's gonna be kind of ugly. Um, although, I mean, again, if, if there's one kind of team that they can hype them up against, it'd be Chelsea. Um, it'd be another good team. Um, but, you know, truth I didn't really watch Chelsea last week, so I don't really know how they look. Rian, you can definitely probably shed some insight on that. Um, <laughs> curious. But, I mean, from, there's nothing that convinced, from Spurs play that convinced me that we'll win right now, as it stands. Yeah, I could, I guess I could speak to, to the last couple games for Chelsea. And... Really, the biggest difference for what's happening um, since Tuchel's come in is that they've switched to a back three and they're playing like a three-four-three, 
where against Wolves, they had Ziyech and Havertz playing behind Giroud as part of that three, and versus Burnley, it was Mount behind Werner and Abraham for 45 minutes, and then Pulisic came on. And Jorginho and Kovacic, Jorginho is back, apparently, um, in starting more regularly, and at least looks more comfortable in this setup than he has at any point, I think, under Lampard, at least. Um, but those guys are... are acting he and Kovacic as a double pivot and the big changes have been Cal Hudson Adoy playing right wing back where he's been really good in the first couple games um finding a lot of space and Marcos Alonso is back into the lineup and this is the only position that he can play very well at a high level which is left wing back scored 13 goals in the two seasons playing this position under Antonio Conte, uh, most for, by any defender during that time period. And um, I don't know. Uh, generally, there's been a greater emphasis for Chelsea on playing in the half spaces, which to our listeners out there, it's it's pretty much the area between what you would call the channel, more or less, which is between the edge of the goal of the outer goal posts to the edge of the 18 yard box. And there's a lot of emphasis on getting into those areas for whoever is playing behind the strikers and playing between the lines, which is, which is just stuff that was not harped on or was not apparent. I should say in Chelsea's playing style, at least the last month of the Lampard um, reign. And, yeah, it's it's, it's a much it's a much different, much different setup, and the team is more organized, and um, you see a lot more horizontality, I guess, um, from yeah, Mason boring. Mount. <laughs> yeah, from Mason Mount, from Ziyech, from Havertz, in those spaces between the edge of the eighteen and the beginning of the final third, you're, you're seeing a, them try to pick up those areas where a number ten would pick up, right, and. Um, it's 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 all still very new, and so I'm not trying. I'm not going to get my hopes up too much, but um, it definitely feels like a much different team plan going in game to game. And um, I don't know, going in, even going to Thursday. Look, Tuchel loves to rotate the squads, loves rotating lineups, and trying to tailor it to the opponent. So I. Won't ex- I wouldn't expect that the lineups that played versus Wolves and Burnley will be playing against Tottenham, but um, yeah, I, I think I think it should be really interesting to see the midfield that um, that Tuchel goes with goes with because as much as he loves to rotate, he loves even more possession and like structure, and so it'll be interesting to see if uh, if N'Golo Kante comes back into the team. Mm. I hate Marcus Alonso so much. So I've, this is <laughs> oh, who doesn't? How much I hate him. Every every game he hits a banger. Him and like Matic when he was there just hit just the weirdest against Spurs specifically. Uh, oh, and William too. But I can't forget about him. He just, he just turned into prime Robin against us. It was insane. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's, right. that's a PTSD warning, but yes. <laughs> well, for the, should, should, 
What what are our, our predictions for the game before we let you get out of here, Desmond? Elias, you want to start? Yeah, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Chelsea win. I think this is a game for Thomas Tuchel, for almost all the reasons that you pointed out, Rian, to get this right, to just start off on such a positive foot. Right? I mean, obviously, he's only had two, already had two games under his belt, but this is a big game in the context of where both teams are at the table, in the context of form, that matters. And apparently the police officers outside agreed with me. But I, I think that this game specifically, Thomas Tuchel needs to win more than Mourinho for the sake of what it means for Chelsea. Whereas I think Chelsea or Spurs would probably be happy with the draw, given that they're missing Harry Kane, they're in a dip of form. This is Chelsea to win 2-1. Mm. All right, I, I will. I'll go next, and we'll leave leave the best for last with our our guest. Um, I I, I slightly disagree on Elias in terms of um. I, I think at the end of the day, I think a draw will be fine for for uh. I think for Tuchel and, and Chelsea, all of it depends on the performance. So this is this is pretty baseless without without knowing what the performance will look like, but um. I'm going to say it's a 1-1 draw. And I'm going to say that just because I I think it, it could be a game where Chelsea create chances and, and have a lot of the ball and probably create enough chances maybe to score two goals. But um, I just the finishing is still not quite on the level as it should be. I think they could have scored more against Burnley and, and earlier against Burnley. But uh, as a Chelsea fan, I'm hoping that, that the confidence from that dominant performance against Burnley will give them confidence to uh, get their shooting boots on. So Desmond. Okay. So logically, I think it'll probably be like a two, one Chelsea win. It really depends. I don't know what our lineup's going to look like. Cause I mean, real like Doherty, I don't think we'll ever see again. Um, poor Arie has been banished. Somewhere, don't know what happened to him. Like, I don't know what the team's gonna look That's like. That's communicated. Oh my god! <laughs> For anyone who's listening, I think he left the stadium after he got subbed off at half. Um, just left, is was gone. Um, and then he was not back the next game. wasn't even on the bench. So you know, I don't know what happened to him. But um, you know, logically, I think it'll be a two-one Chelsea win just based on form. But. If there was ever a time for Mourinho masterclass for a one-nil shit house win, it's this Thursday. It's this week, and uh, so I'm gonna go with one-nil Spurs. Oh. He, he's funny enough. Wrong. I would have. I would have said. <laughs> funny enough. I would have said that exact thing last week with a bit more <laughs> of a depleted Liverpool squad. But, but I, I sympathize with the sentiment. Yeah, yeah no, I, I really, I don't win. think Des is off base. <laughs> okay, logically 2-1 win. What do you say? I said logically 2-1 win, but in all likelihood, we could very well see a Mourinho masterclass for a 1-0 shithouse win. So, first yeah. of course. Um, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, I can't because, yeah, these are pretty much the games that Spurs pull him out for. So, fair enough. Des, Rian. Thanks for coming on. Well, Rian, you have to come on. But Des, thank you for coming on, being a guest, talking a little Spurs, talking a little Chelsea. Good luck on Thursday. You're going to need it. 
Rian, you'll probably need a little less, but you'll also probably need it. But uh, I think that wraps up the, the first half of the pod. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. And uh, thank you, Des, for coming on the pod. We're going to move on to bigger and brighter things, however, talking a little Liverpool City and, of course, Arsenal United from this past weekend. Rian, let's start with Liverpool. Really getting back on track, um, putting up, I would say, performances for what their squad looks like um, right now against both Spurs and West Ham. Two, Two sides that are decent, quite frankly. Um, I don't want to say very good because I think that would give Desmond and other Spurs fans way too much pride. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. So, yeah, let's let's start with Liverpool, Rian. Back on track with two wins now. What really stood out for you in their last two games? Yeah, I think uh, as as we kind of discussed with, with Desmond about, about the Liverpool game, like Liverpool just outclassed them, really, and, and they dominated – Tottenham for most of that game. Um, I think then you move on to what happened against West Ham, and, and and before and before that, I should even say, like that game against Tottenham was not a must win. I would say, right? Not, not like it wasn't something where if they dropped points, they were totally out of the title race or anything like that, right? But I felt like it was kind of a must not lose. Just, just because yeah. of you know how things have been going the few uh, a few weeks before the couple weeks before this game and and I think for the confidence of the players and you know all the intangible stuff momentum whatever you want to call it I, I thought it was really important for them to play well against Tottenham not even necessarily win but they played well and they won so um, I think that was really impressive from them and then you move on to what happened this past weekend at West Ham and. The first half was a bit, a bit cagey. Um, I mean, West Ham were in good form going into it. They, like they they had won, um, I believe, four in a row going to that game. So, yeah, that was not going to be easy. Ninety minutes at all for Liverpool, and I think they kind of just weathered the storm in the first half. And second half, they were fantastic. And that second goal by Sol- the second solid goal, possibly the best slash like most efficient counterattack goal I can remember. Two passes, six total touches, and a chip goal. And um and I think that put Salah back within I believe within two of the golden boot race. Um yeah, I mean that that was he kind of broke his own duck. I think he hadn't scored in like six games or so before that. Um he'd been on a trout for sure. Yeah. And so it that that was a big goal for him. It, even from his celebration was kind of like uh it was no emotions and like it, it was pretty cold so i i enjoyed it it's i enjoyed that um, it's just business all business all business um i think the most impressive thing though that even before i think these last two games for liverpool and in the games where they were struggling to score what's been constant is jordan henderson has turned himself into one of the best center backs in the league just like Fabinho has all, has also turned himself into one of the best center backs in the league when he's had to play there. So I think kind of that evolution, not, not necessarily evolution, but like 
Oh, Jordan Henderson just I gave gave him a lot of stick before I think this season. Whereas like, you know, we felt that he was really more like a leader by example almost sort of, right? Or a leader a kind of clubhouse leader and leader by was, words. you know. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um slightly I'm sure his uh pre match speeches are slightly different to Harry Kane, but it's just he's been much better or he's gotten much better like the, the the progression of his talent has been something that i don't think we would have expected to see and he's showing it where he's excelling at center back now and he's seventh in the league and completed long passes he's first in the league in passes into the final third and second in progressive passes so he's showing kind of his whole bag of tricks um at center back and I think it's just been really, really impressive. I think there's along that line, just one thing that I'll point out is maybe there's something to be said about the modern transformation about the center back role. And it, it may not necessarily just be all about Jordan Henderson. And honestly, I'm going to be honest. This isn't me just discrediting Jordan Henderson for the sake of it. I, it it's absolutely because I, I agree with you. I think he stepped up massively in the kind of the lack of depth that they have that position, but there's something to be said about the importance of in the same way that we saw goalkeepers in the last 15 years become so versatile with their feet and with their positioning in relation to building up from the back. It's starting kind of to at least mold into the Premier League a little bit more, right? It started, I think, probably more so when Pep came into into the league in Manchester City um, ball playing center backs, and obviously we we know Sheffield's um, overlapping center backs, right? There, there's an emphasis on having dynamic center backs, so it may be that, especially given the way the Liverpool play, he's almost a natural fit in in some weird universe. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the really vertical style of Liverpool and of Henderson having to play that vertical style as a center mid for Liverpool has kind of made it an easier transition for him going even even further back. Um, and yeah, I really have to applaud. Like, his long passing has been, has really made it possible for Liverpool to still at least get into the final third at the same rate that they have been um, with or without uh, Van Dijk and, and Gomez and, and, uh, Fabinho even recently, but also got to give a shout out to Trent Alexander-Arnold, who pretty much the last, before this past week, um, the last month, at least maybe two months, month and a half, let's say, um, really the biggest drop, real drop in form for Trent Alexander-Arnold in his career, which is a testament to the player he's been up until this point. This is his fourth season in the Premier League, and he's still only 22. Um, but that being said, like this season, he's had his lowest shot creating actions per 90, fewest completed pass into the penalty area, and smallest or, and uh, so yeah, smallest expected assists totals since his first season in the Premier League. So it was good to see him bounce back, get a goal and an assist against Spurs. Uh, and then he played the first of those two gorgeous passes in that counterattack goal. He played the first pass to uh, to Shakiri almost from his own penalty box, pretty much the edge of his own penalty box. It, it was, um, yeah. 
Yeah, and and so yeah, it's good to see. Hopefully, he's showing some signs of, of bouncing back from that dip in form. And uh, just another reminder that he's just twenty two years old. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's just kind of ridiculous. Like the fact that this is his first dip in form. I I don't think that. I think once we look back, I, this is probably the best way to put it. Once we look back when he's maybe twenty eight, twenty nine, and you look back over his career, you'll probably say, "Wow, the fact that he really only had his first dip in form four years after entering one of the most competitive leagues in the world." is puts him at least in my mind on par with the top world overall not necessarily like attacking defending whatever but the level of consistency right is what makes great players and that's what he's been able to maintain uh, of course up and now but going forward yeah he's got an amazing future that's that it's not even a question yeah, I don't think we're we're not in the slightest worried about that that drop in form, right? But um, yeah, it, it looks like looks like that Tottenham win will give Liverpool a big boost of confidence. And it should be said, like to to dominate that game the way they did against Spurs, you have to have a lot of self confidence anyway going into that. And as they should, you know, they've as a team they've won everything possible. So no, it it just kind of goes to show like the the experience that they have and just kind of the the belief that they know that they were better than what the results had been showing over the last few weeks uh i'm not remotely worried about them um i think ultimately the league is still going to be coming down to them and the next thing we're about to talk about is who's manchester city right yeah a little let's talk about city for a second because they have won their last eight Premier League games um, after uh, probably not so efficiently and a little lacklusterly beating Sheffield um, and, of course, beating West Brom before that. Rian, the one thing that impresses me the most about Manchester City is, in the same way that they won on their 100-point run right a couple of seasons ago, they control their own destiny basically any point in the season they can actively switch on and just say <laughs> you know what this is this is our game or this yeah, is it's our, go time our let's time. go <laughs> it's, it's yeah. basically it's go time right and which is funny because it's basically the opposite problem that real madrid have they have a problem of even doing that in the first place so what do you make of city now that they're top of the league they're going on a consistent run of form where where is City head for you? Where do they rank right in their ability to win the league and against the other top six teams? I, I think in their ability ability to win the league, I think it's it's shifted. Um, I think like, like I mentioned on our episode maybe a couple weeks ago, where it, it shifted. I think they're the favorites now. Um, I I just it. it the Death Star is almost complete. I'll just say that. Right? It's <laughs> this has been, uh, at least in his time at Manchester City, um, I, and and I think you probably would have to say the the first two to three years at, at Barcelona too, but maybe since then, since 
the first two or three years of Pep's time in Barcelona, I think this is the best coaching job he's ever, ever um, accomplished. If they win the league, I should I should caveat it a bit. But even if they were to lose the league by just a few points to a really good Liverpool team, this team at the beginning of the season, granted, we talked about the fact that, that they were dealing with fatigue from, from the Champions League, but the loss of Sergio Aguero, who's played maybe 200 minutes this season, um, Gabriel Jesus does not currently look like the answer or the the... Second, yeah, the guy who's next, years, he, he hasn't, yeah. And, and and this, and this season, when he's had his best opportunities to show that he can be the guy, the, the guy, um, after Sergio Aguero, he's not shown it, and, he, and he's not shown it to the level that is necessary for a, a team like Manchester City. So, you throw in all those factors and missing Laporte for a decent amount of the first half having to kind of bring John Stone's confidence back to the level that he can play at the level that he's been playing over the last uh, couple months. All of that together, I think this is the the best coaching job he's done in a long time. Um, and a big example of that is the Gundogan as a false nine thing is just kind of it just worked it's worked he played pretty much five games at that position he, this past weekend when they played Sheffield United it was Gabriel Jesus starting and you know maybe, maybe that is a bit of the reason why it wasn't as easy for for Manchester City this weekend but um played five games Gundogan has as a false nine basically since that Chelsea game in those five games he had five goals and City as a whole scored 15 goals in those five games. So it's just a position he's never played before. And with a player that I don't think any of us would have put bets on to be the type of player that he tries that with. Um, it, it's an unbelievable coaching job by, by Pat yeah. Susan. It's just, it's also not like Kunduan played this position at Dortmund. Like, he was exactly. the most number eight player there was at Dortmund. And to move him into a very, a much more complex, I guess, position that doesn't, I, I, I mean, argue that it probably doesn't suit him very well. Um, but maybe that's why I'm not coaching Manchester City. <laughs> that's just the thought. Possibly. Um, just one of the reasons. Well, it's a small one reason, the, obviously. <laughs> One of the many reasons. I also don't know how to handle a hundred billion dollar budget, but yeah, it, I, yeah, I, I was very hesitant when Gundogan was placed in this position, but the fact that he's basically not a natural su successor for De Bruyne, but I think he's a natural replacement, is massive for them because when De Bruyne is out, statistically they have gone on their poorest run run of runs plural of form, um, and so. To have just depth in that position that you can rely on and not in the same way that it's uh, Gabriel Jesus being relied on instead of Aguero is, I think, a major reason, probably one of the biggest reasons why they're in first right now. Yeah, and it, it's it's crazy how much it's worked because also, I mean, the finishes in a lot of these goals from Gundogan have been just top-notch. 
Um, so a lot of credit to him too, because these aren't easy finishes. They're, they're not tap-ins that he's getting. I mean, not each of the goals were tap-ins. Like, I'm thinking of the first goal against West Brom, which was a wonderful goal. I'm thinking of the for the goal against Chelsea, where he does this unbelievable turn and and scores. Um, yeah, I, I think he's raised his level as an individual as well, and that's helped make that positional change. You know, whether how temporary it is, um, we'll see. But it's made that positional change a lot easier. Now, like you said, we'll see what happens with Kevin De Bruyne, who's now out pretty much through the rest of February. Um, yeah. I think there's maybe a possibility he's back at the very end of February, but uh, I think likely out until March. And it's a big well, hole to fill. It's not like yeah, they have to worry about the Champions League, so. <laughs> yeah, they'll be they'll be fine there. So, <laughs> but at least yeah, it's too much. Yeah, it's it's really about trying to replace a player who's top ten in the league in terms of carries into the final third, shot creating actions, and goal creating actions per ninety, passes into the penalty area, and expected assists per ninety. So, it, it's it'll be a big big uh test this upcoming weekend especially as they play liverpool who sit (laughs) four points behind them city have a game in hand but um but now that game looks really well i mean it it always looks great but but and for content too just i mean it is an absolutely amazing fixture but rian mentioned this to me i think over the weekend and I actually completely forgot that we were in February. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm like in a different dimension. So I don't think I have any freedoms to even talk about this fiction. I, I think, I think everyone, everyone has the excuse or everyone has a total pass on time slippage over these last year, over this last year. So <laughs> <Over> last year, <laughs> me, a millennial yeah. trying to get over March, 2020. And here we are. <laughs> anyway. But, um, but yeah, it, it's it's uh, a game where if Liverpool wins, like you said about City before, I mean, City will lose their kind of having it within their own hands, um, controlling their own destiny. So it's it could be a big a big win for Liverpool. I mean, always a big win when when you're playing Manchester City, obviously. But um, but yeah, now this game looks a bit more exciting than I think it would have, let's say two weeks ago when Liverpool were really struggling just to put shots on target. So um, both teams now feeling pretty good about themselves and we shall see. It'll it'll be a fun one. Yeah. I'm I'm very excited for, for this upcoming weekend, but Rian, why don't we shift focus to two teams that did actually already play over the weekend and the game that we finally watched together. I can't believe it. We finally watched the game together. Um, Arsenal United. Yeah, I'm really, I'm starting to get the feeling that we shouldn't watch too many games anymore because <laughs> the, the multiple games that we have have been absolute snooze fests or I think Barcelona losses. So yeah, let's, let's talk about this for a second. The uh, extremely entertaining, I'm saying that tongue in cheek, of course, um, nil nil draw <laughs> that was Arsenal United. Rian, I know you think that it was a relatively entertaining game, but for, I should say for a nil-nil. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. For uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as entertaining as you think a nil-nil could get, but for 
a game that had, I think, an XG for both sides averaging around 0.35 for, I believe, the first half. It's not, not extremely entertaining. It was just shots that went off target, and there were a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think the second half of the game was more was more entertaining than the first, but I, I see what you're saying. It, at the end of the day, I think United will be pretty disappointed um, with the result. Not not only because um, of where Arsenal are on the table, but it, because they had. I mean, Cavani himself had two really great chances. Um, I'll give him some benefit of the doubt for the second one because it was kind of like a, kind of tried like a bicycle kick, even though it was from somewhat close range. But like he kind of tried, he tried a bicycle kick. It was I think like the took... only way he could score though. Like I give him, I give him <laughs> some... I think he took the, he, and also credit to him, like he didn't know that Martial was coming in from behind him, but he does take the ball like right off him and tries for a much uh, harder finish. But the miss in the first half is pretty inexplicable into an open net and um, he put it wide. So I think you add that plus there's a moment where I think Pogba plays a ball into Rashford and Martinelli just slips in to, to head it out of the way when Martial was in a lot of space. And then pretty much that same exact play happened in the second half um, where Rashford picks it up in the same space even closer to Burnt Leno in the penalty area. And instead of shooting immediately, he he does a little drag back and then the space is completely closed out and he has to pass it backwards to, to Bruno Fernandez who who ends up getting uh fouled outside the box. But um yeah, they're gonna feel they they feel very, I think, disappointed with the result, especially coming off of the loss to Sheffield United, um, where they looked just a, a bit listless and 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 um Lost for plans, and defensively, that's wow. the second goal, Wait. especially from Sheffield United. Seriously, you mean this Manchester United team, <laughs> coached by Olegan Solskjaer, was <laughs> lost for a plan? That's Rian. That <laughs> this is breaking news that you're telling me. You can't just throw that at me. I know. Spoiler alert: They aren't fantastically coached. Um, no, no, they're not. Uh, I mean, the second the second goal that they gave up to Sheffield United was just like a school a school a high school goal really um where they basically allowed the same shot to happen twice in the span of like 15 seconds by the same exact player all everyone standing in the exact same positions with the same guy being open and just the second time he gets a little lucky and and there's a deflection and they score off of it but um yeah they'll be disappointed with with these last two results obviously and and especially disappointed against Arsenal that they weren't more clinical. Um, but now they've got, they've got an interesting week coming up. They play Southampton and Everton. And those are both at home, which is something of note because they have not lost away from Old Trafford this season. And at Old Trafford is where they've been pretty ordinary. So. A little little flipping of uh, of the form. Yeah, they've been... I think that what their last 17 games they have not dropped points in the Premier League uh, away from Old Trafford so yeah that's pretty impressive and I think it ties if not I think it ties the record um for for away results so yes disappointing for United but at the same time I wasn't surprised just because for an Arsenal team that are coming back into form and a, a team that I think is 
better coached, albeit maybe not having the better players, still usually works out in the in Arsenal's favor in this situation if you're comparing the two teams. So I, I'm I'm just not I'm sorry, I'm not bullish on Manchester United. I I have little reason to believe that individual performances carry you farther than a team with direction. And I think that Arsenal at least are partially on that path. I think your cities and your Liverpools are beyond even considering whether they're on that path. But I just don't see how United can keep up their previous run of form. Unless individual performances are just wild. Yeah, and I think that the, the... The issue with that, as we kind of mentioned um, talking with Desmond, is that that's not it's not extremely sustainable, right? Um, to outperform to the levels that we've seen the Tottenham have, and and Manchester United are overall this season second highest outperformers in terms of expected points in the league. Um, so yeah, it's it feels a bit of a regression. To the mean of sorts um in the last couple games of uh, at least and yeah it, it's it's hard it, it, bruno fernandez isn't gonna unfortunately it's felt like it but he isn't going to create a goal every single game and and um we know that like kind of type of player he is is high risk high reward and you now they're gonna be stretches where it just doesn't quite click right um or even stretches where where the teams are a bit more cautious to to the types of balls that he likes to play in the areas and stuff too. So yeah, they've gotta they've gotta find more than one way to attack teams as a team. I think they counterattack as a team, but outside of that, you know, they, they need to come up with different solutions. Um on the Arsenal side, yeah, it's a good point for them. Um, after a really good win against Southampton in the middle of the week. And they've got an interesting stretch coming up now. That after That's now seven straight Premier League games without a loss. And after Wolves this week, they've got Aston Villa, Leeds, Manchester City, and Leicester as their next four games after that. So that's a big test for this kind of new, uh, not regime, but this kind of new, li- the new lineups and the new kind of feeling around Arsenal, at least. Because yeah, if you want to be overly critical, which hard to be considering the stretch that they were in for most of the season. Um, but in that seven-game stretch where they haven't lost, they've beaten a, a really dreadful Chelsea. Um, they've beaten Brighton, which I think is a, which I always think is a good win, beating Brighton. But but unfortunately, I don't think I always... I don't know if everyone that. agrees with that. Um, <laughs> But also, uh, they beat West Brom, who are looking like they're going down, and Newcastle, who always look like they're going down, but somehow stay up. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I said, the Southampton win was, was really good. Yeah. <laughs> Southampton was really good, a really good win yeah. for Arsenal. So they've got, they've got a big test over the next couple um, couple weeks. Yeah, the one thing that I'm really looking to, to see now that Aubameyang is back in training, I believe, um, after personal reasons kept him out, I, I'm... Curious to see if he actually gets back in the squad um, or into the starting 11 uh, immediately is, is my point. I mean, okay, let's be honest. Their, their crown jewel is always going to be in the starting 11 almost, but I'm more curious as to how Arteta phases him back in. B- 
because they've been doing pretty okay since he's been out for, you know, the most part. I'm going to say there's obviously caveats, but for the most part, they've looked more cohesive as a team. I don't know if Lacazette is playing in his prime position as kind of this false nine, um, but I do think that he's probably better suited to that position than Aubameyang right now. And I would probably argue that Aubameyang is just taking time away from your young wingers if he's actually in the starting 11. So I'm, I just, I don't know what answer Arteta has, but I've also been one to point out that I don't know if Aubameyang and Lacazette can actually coexist on the field properly ever, just because of their, their natural positioning. But that they've fared on the last three weeks. So maybe, maybe that continues. Yeah. That'll be interesting. I, yeah. You're right. Lacazette has played much better without Aubameyang in the lineup and, and especially with Saka and, and Emil Smith-Rowe. It seems like there's a good chemistry there. So that's, that will be interesting um, to see how Aubameyang gets phased back in. But all all will uh, kind of be revealed over these next couple of weeks. That Shall we go to uh, another break here, Elias? Yes, let's take a quick break. We can do a roundup of the other teams and matches in Premier League, i.e. Chelsea. <laughs> but no, also Everton and Leicester. Um, and talk about, does Rian have a favorite for player of the year already? Well, you'll find out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I decided during the break that we're not going to talk about Chelsea again. I don't want to because it would probably piss me off too much. But Rian, Rian wants to talk a little bit about the rest of the teams in the Premier League. So let's start off with a little... Everton, Rian, disappointed? Not disappointed? Where where do you stand with them after uh, after their loss? Okay, I'm gonna say a bit of both. Um, I think both because I think disappointed in the sense where yeah, you know, I, I thought they did well to to at least hold off Leicester in midweek and and getting a draw out of that game fine result for for either team but this was a game where as opposed to what's happened at least in the last month ish for Everton um they didn't play well and lost right and they they haven't necessarily outplayed teams I think in the last like I said last month or so but have found ways to get wins and I think it's funny because you know mentioned that Manchester United were the second highest outperformers in the league this year in terms of expected points. Everton are first in that category. So it's not disappointing in that sense. Right? Uh, they're, they're sitting 14th in the league in terms of shots per 90, and they're 11th in terms of touches in the penalty area. So they're not really getting enough um, going up front and Elias and I were texting about this I, I'm just a bit disappointed in Richarlison this season and I know that he's missed some time out of injury for sure but as someone who I had as being the young player of the year 
in England this year. I thought he, my prediction was that he'd win it this season um, with a better team around him, the, the best Everton team that's been around him, we should say. Um, he hasn't raised the level of his game to the area that I was expecting. Um, he's only slightly outperforming his, or not outperforming, I say slightly increased his non-penalty expected goals and expected assists this season compared to last year. But he's still sitting on two goals and three assists this season. He had three assists all of last season, to be fair to him. So so he's on track to beat that. But at this point, he, he started 14 games. And I would have been expecting by now, in 14 games, I would have been expecting closer to, to double-digit goals, especially with the team that's that's played around them for most of the season. Um, obviously, there was a time where James Rodriguez was missing, of course, but but you're you're still expecting a bit more from the individual himself. And yeah, you know, I, I thought this was going to be the year that he makes the leap, but he just hasn't. Yeah, and the one thing that we were talking about, and I think it's important, is that I don't know if he really fits in with the chemistry of the team. I don't think it has anything to do with positional play or you know, where he's told to go or not to go. I think it really is down to how he actually gels with the other players. And you can really see that, and I personally don't have a statistic on it, but the combinations of passes between Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison is, I think if you probably did like a statistical analysis between other wingers and strikers in the league, it's probably not very high up there, if that makes sense. I I just don't see them combining for key passes as often. I I don't see them. It's something that I would say that they probably did a little more in the beginning of the year, but I don't see them really threading through balls or passing into dangerous areas even if it's running onto the ball, it's it's to feet a lot of the time. It's very horizontal, and I just I don't know why there the chemistry there, especially in that I think the chemistry with Richarlison and kind of the the rest of the team doesn't fit very well. Yeah, and I see what you're saying there. I I think my um my kind of uh disappointments there is that he's not getting enough shots i think i, I charleston is averaging about 2.8 shots per game which is still i think not enough for him right that's less that's less shots per game than two years ago in his first season at everton and like i said this is a much better team he he should be a bit more of the focal point and and to what you're saying Elias yeah there should be more combination play between him and Dominic Calvert-Lewin um granted Calvert-Lewin isn't the most technically sound player for sure and and that's not the type of player that he is anyway where he's been successful is is being kind of a predator around the box and and poaching goals right but Calvert-Lewin has the one touch passes at least in his game and I'd love to see more I'd love to see him gain more chemistry with, with Richarlison and I'd love to see Richarlison kind of get more shots. Um, I, I think at times he's a bit too unselfish. Um, 
And I, I would just like to see him get more shots on shots in general in games and uh, and be put in positions where he can get the shots. I, I feel like the team is more or less set up to create shots for Calvert-Lewin. Um, whereas, you know, you've got another extremely talented youngster on your team. And and I'd love to see Richardson get more involved in terms of uh, in the final third or in the penalty area, I should say. Yeah, and it's not going <laughs> to get any easier for Everton coming up. They play Leeds this week, United over the weekend, and then they play Spurs, Fulham, Liverpool after that. So their February is difficult, to say the least. Um, <laughs> if Richarlison gets kicking this, you know, at any point in the season, this month would be the time to do it to, to kind of save that narrative. But... Rian, I think that's that's Everton. Um, why don't we move on, talk a little bit about Leicester, which I think you were probably a little more pissed off about. Um, I'm uh, partially judging that on your Twitter history, but I'm also judging it on the way that you've reacted to, to both these teams. So where where's Leicester for you right now? I mean, again, another loss for them. Um, but I think this this loss was probably the one that I was – I was just annoyed by. Mm. Yeah, I, like it's their it's their first loss in seven games. Uh, snap that streak of seven without a loss. But yeah, they just look like a much different team without Indeedy, and that's obviously easy to say because Indeedy's fantastic player. But um, their center midfielder, or other backup holding mid, um, Mendy, is just not nearly at the same level as in DD. I, I thought he got played through very easily against Leeds and like we know that Leeds is a really good attacking team, but um their midfield just felt very hollow and um and then up top they're playing a Jose Perez. Uh, Jamie Vardy's injured, but uh, a Jose Perez was starting up top instead of Ianacho and they were just a a bit toothless up top. A great, great goal by Harvey Barnes, by the way, and a great individual goal because he carried the ball just about like 40 yards by himself and a great run. Um, but yeah, not not extremely worried about them, but um, but they've got an interesting run coming up too. And they play Wolves, they play Fulham and Wolves this week. They, they need to get six points. That's considering the form that Wolves are in, considering the place that... Fulham are in, and granted, I think Fulham's for, Fulham's performances have been much better than Wolves recently. Um, so that's not going to be a necessarily easy game, but they, they need to get six points from those two games if if they're going to kind of hold off the obvious that concerns that people are going to start having about them falling off again if they weren't able to win both of those games. Because after that, they play Liverpool, Villa, and Arsenal. So they have to get the points in their bag, at least for now, um, before a tough stretch. Yeah, I, I think that's that's probably the biggest takeaway for Lester. I think the biggest takeaway for me as a, well, a fan watching was just what surprised me was their nonchalantness about their pro- – and I said this to Rian um, on Sunday. I said it just seemed like Lester didn't – want to go for it and i think part of it is that yes they were missing indeedy but i think the larger part is that defensively they just looked 
underwhelming, extremely underwhelming. It looked like I was watching Manchester United defend, and it was not pretty at all. Um, and I don't know if that's going to improve, but I would assume that it would have to because it seemed very uncharacteristic of um, of Leicester to play that way. Yeah, and I, I think we've got faith that Brendan Rodgers will be able to figure this out. Um, got a lot of faith in him. So I, I'm not worried about them um, in a, a whole overarching kind of way. But, yeah, I think as me as a Chelsea fan and other Chelsea fans will be watching very closely these next these next couple of weeks for Leicester. But, um, but yeah, they could put a lot of this to bed if they're able to get six points in the next two games. But yeah, yeah, agreed. Rian, I think there's one yes. last topic uh, yes. that you wanted to cover. <laughs> Rian, let's talk about your early favorite or maybe not so early favorite for player of the year. Of course, course we're talking about Ames Rodriguez. Rian, <laughs> tell me tell me I why. Mean, if you'd <laughs> asked me that like at the end of October, yeah, he probably would have been <laughs> a favorite. Yeah, there was there was no consistency for Hamas, unfortunately. But <laughs> yeah, I, I all kidding aside, Jack Grealish I think has probably been one of the most outstanding players, not only in the Premier League, but as an England international as well. Let's talk about him for a second. Last point. Favorite player of the year, why? Yeah, I'm going to go even another step there, Ellis. He's been great in terms of the Premier League. He's been great in terms of English national team players. Of course, that's of course. But I'm kind of done comparing him to Premier League players. Just looking at around the top Ooh, five leagues in Europe. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> the top five leagues in Europe. He is third in shot creating actions per 90 behind Messi and Neymar. He's fifth in goal creating actions per 90. He's first in completed pass completed passes into the uh, sorry, completed passes into the penalty area per 90. He's fourth in progressive carries. He's fifth in pass in um pro- progressive carries into the penalty area. First in completed or key passes third and expected assists. These are all numbers across the top five leagues in Europe. I think he's honestly, for this season at least, he's he's head and shoulders, I'd say, the player of the year in England right now. And maybe I shouldn't say head and shoulders. Maybe he's shoulders, slight shoulders, or or one head, which, whichever one's kind of smaller. Uh, he's maybe like a head above... Um, maybe above Kane and De Bruyne, let's say. I feel like those are, off the top of my head, those are the other two nominees I can think of for now. There, I might be missing someone, but... Son, maybe, um, but yeah. Who? Oh, Son, Son. yeah, 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 of course, yeah, of course. Um, but I think he's above those players. I, 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 his performances this season have... (laughs) He's, he's honestly, like, magical to watch, like... All stats aside, he is—he's like poetry in motion. Like he, every time he picks up the ball, it's so exciting. And I'm not gonna say it's—it's it's the exact same feeling that I get when watching like a Messi, a, a Neymar, or Ronaldo pick the ball up, but it's—it's it's really close, honestly. You know, it's interesting. I mean, 
I, I think it's hard to make a case that he is not a top five player in, in Europe on form at the very least. We have yet to see it for a consistent, you know, run of, I would say a year plus, but he is entering that conversation. I think I, I'm just scared of getting so bullish on like semi young talent that has the opportunity to really explode onto the scene because it reminds me a little too much of Michael Owen and a little too much of his situation. And I know I <laughs> say it. You're talking say about it. a Ballon d'Or winner. So, yeah. Right. right. I mean, the worst things to be. No, no, no. I, of course there are worse things to be. But by nature of the conversation, right, you're essentially saying that he could be in the running for something like that, for a top player in Europe award. I, yeah. I mean, I think he is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And and that's my point, right, is I think it's fair to say that he is a top player in the world. I think we have to be careful about where this progression takes him because I don't want to see West Ham sell him off to Aston Villa. Villa. Excuse me. Aston Villa. Thank you. Uh, their colors had me mixed in the uh, Aston Villa sell him off to uh, a top 10 club in the world and not see him develop and get the playing time that he deserves and he needs because he is shining for Aston Villa for a reason. It's because he's the focal point of that team. Any other top 10 club right now, you're probably not going to be the focal point of that team unless they have a transition plan for you. But, but maybe there is a case for Michael Owen 2.0 to go to Real Madrid <laughs> and go and become the focal point. I'm not, I'm not I'm saying, saying it officially. I'm not saying it officially, <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I think I'm, pa I understand your feelings there. And that's really where I was with Grealish. I think um, going into the season, yes. And, and even at the beginning of the season, but I don't know. I, I think the progression from this season versus last season, where last season he was great too, but the team was much worse. And this season it's just the, the players are better around him and he's performing at this level. And I, and I, 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 to, I'm not afraid to be too bullish on him. I really think that he's, I, I think that he could start on just about any team in the world right this now. And, and I, and I, and I think, yeah, and I, I, I'm maybe I'm, I'm kind of gassing up too much. So maybe if I am, it's like by such a small margin if I am, I think. So, um, yeah, I think he's one of the five on form right now. I think he's one of the five best players in the world. And, um, and I'm like begging you guys, people who are listening, if there's an Aston Villa game, do not hesitate to turn it on. I, I so serious, not even just for him. We talk about Villa's a fun team anyway, but, but to watch that they Jack play, Grealish. Yeah. Yeah, to watch Jack Grealish, I mean, it's it's magical, and that's and that's where I'll stop off for the night. <laughs> it is no, it really is. He is a special player. I think there's no denying that, and I think that anyone that has a chance to watch him play should absolutely take that chance. In the same way that you, yeah, maybe in the same way that you see Messi, Neymar, Ronaldo on TV, and you think, wow, I really need to watch these players just because of how magical they are. So, early shout. 
probably the right one, probably the one that will end up becoming the player of the year in the Premier League. Rian. Well done. Bravo. Great analysis. <laughs> I, I, I sounded condescending the way that I said that, but I genuinely didn't mean that. So anyway, well, anything else you want to talk about, Rian, before I just, <laughs> I go end myself for that? No, no, I think, I think that's just about it. Um, I'm ready to go watch The Bachelor, so... Oh yeah, yeah. that's it for the night. That's that's on pretty soon. So, all right. Thank you guys for for listening, and thank you, Des, for coming on. Thank you, as always, for for enduring our whatever our thoughts and (laughs) what's going on in our head are. (laughs) But anyway, see you guys. Thanks, guys.